0: frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious Grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today.
1: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are.
0: This is the John Fuglesang podcast. So, as you know, since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June of 2022, eliminating federal abortion rights, Texas has been one of uh, a dozen or so states enforcing a complete and total ban. It is now illegal to aid or abet terminations of pregnancies in Texas. Their abortion laws mean that women have to continue pregnancy despite fetal anomalies. Women have to carry unviable pregnancies due to their state's laws. And there's lawsuits about that right now. It's exploding everywhere. Another case has a Texas man who's filed a wrongful death lawsuit accusing three women of helping his ex-wife obtain abortion pills, one of the first major legal challenges under the state abortion ban. Then there's Texas State Representative Steve Toth, who recently introduced a bill targeting the most viable form of safe and effective abortion access. Again, medication abortion and let's also talk about the right-wing group that went judge-shopping until they found an anti-abortion activist Donald Trump turned into a judge in Amarillo who will now be trying to impose a nationwide ban on the key drug used for medication abortion it's scary For women's rights in Texas. And our next guest is a hero on the front lines of these and many other battles in this beautiful state. Jessica Gonzalez is currently serving her third term as state representative for House District 104. She serves as member of the House Committee on Business and Industry. She's a member of the House Committee on Urban Affairs, vice chair of the Texas House LGBTQ Caucus, and chair of the National Hispanic Caucus of State Legislators Human and Civil Rights Task Force. She was also named one of USA Today's Women of the Year, and she's dedicated her time in that. House of Representatives in Texas to expanding voting rights, protecting the civil rights of LGBTQ Texans, reforming our criminal justice system. And boy, has she worked on voting rights all while still practicing personal injury law at her firm. It is a great pleasure to welcome Representative Jessica Gonzalez to SiriusXM. Hello.
2: Hi, thank you for having me today.
0: Thank you so much. I I'm I want to thank you for your service. And I guess anyone paying attention could have predicted Texas conservatives would do all they could to have the state become the first place to force women to be pregnant against their wishes. How has it been within the Texas legislature amongst you and your colleagues as you have watched all of these lawsuits begin to pile up?
2: You know, it's it's a slippery slope. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, in the years past, even prior to me joining the legislature, you know, this is an issue that has consistently uh, come up, uh, but never to that, never to that extent. And to be quite honest, um, no one really thought that Roe v. Wade would get overturned and that we would be in the position that we are now. It's unfortunate that, you know, my colleagues in the House are continuing to push, to push this issue you know with with the lawsuit that you mentioned uh, too one of my colleagues is one of the attorneys uh, representing right. the plaintiffs on that case and uh, you know i just think that that you know when folks are trying to figure out their life their personal situation uh, after not having a, a choice anymore over their own bodies to, to go this route is just it's just cruel
0: it is cruel. And uh, and I'll point out it's not based on anything actually in the Bible. I- I'm wondering, what have your constituents said in your district in the aftermath of the gutting of Roe v. Wade? What kind of response have you heard from your voters?
2: Well, you know, my district is, is you know, very, very uh, blue. It's very Democrat. So they're, you know, they're, they're very pro-equality, pro, uh, you know, choice, um, you name it. And so you know, when I ran, uh, that's what I. That's one of the main things that I ran on was that you know we needed a fighter in Austin, and and my predecessor wasn't that person, and so that's kind of what I focused largely. I mean, the last two sessions that I've served, including this one, is unfortunately you know I have to spend the majority of my time playing defense um, yeah. because our state is just, is going backwards. You know, on 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 women's health care. Uh, on the continued attacks on the LGBTQ community, that's right. uh, you name it.
0: Representative, I often feel like the sane uh, people in the Texas legislature must feel a lot like this three sane, progressive women on the U.S. Supreme Court. There must be days when it feels like all you can do is just respectfully dissent.
2: And a lot of times that's what we have to do. Uh, you know, it's it's unfortunately, you know, Democrats are not in the majority and uh You know, we've been trying to get in the or get closer to the majority. Um, And I think it's just we just don't have the numbers. And so a lot of the times we just have to focus on mitigating the damage um, that it would cause to Texans. Um, But my district, you know, it's a solid blue district. Um, I ran on being a fighter at in Austin because I was seeing the attacks like from in the Trump administration. And we saw a big wave of folks that that ran for office. And uh, during that cycle, you know, Texas House Democrats flipped 12 seats. And That's so right. that session, we we focused, um, you know, solely, you know, primarily uh, on property taxes, property tax relief and public and funding our public schools, which are obviously closely tied because flipping those 12 seats really changed the the, the temperament of the House. And, you know, the next cycle, uh, unfortunately, Democrats did not have any, any gains uh, in that department. And so we're kind of in the same place and then this cycle as well. And, and, you know, I think it's just gotten to a point that, you know, Republicans know that they can win because they have the numbers. And now it's just kind of, you know, shoving it, you know, shoving it down our throats a lot of the times, you know, and, and on all kinds of fronts, like right? with voting with voting issues, we know that there isn't a problem. There isn't a, a problem in, in regards to voter fraud. They no. cannot provide that evidence. But yet they're still pushing it further this session. I mean, they increasing the penalty for voter fraud, which got stripped out, you know, uh, last session there at Mm -hmm. the end, I mean, they, they, you know, they reduce it down, but now they want to, you know, they want to increase the the penalty on that again. And so without showing, you know, what the policy concern behind it.
0: Well, you were one of the very heroic uh, members of the legislature who aren't just making Texas's legislature look more like America. You were one of the brave souls who fled the state when they were trying to gut voting (laughs) rights in your state. And you're exactly right. There is no problem with voter impersonation, in this country there is no problem that requires a voting id and there's nothing in the constitution as you well know representative that says that you have to show a piece of laminated plastic to exercise a right I- i'm curious how you and your colleagues support each other when it feels like you're these lone voices of decency and freedom and justice in the wilderness surrounded by uh, i would imagine a lot of performative MAGA nonsense a lot of colleagues who feel they have to puff up the ignorance or else uh, they'll be sent home by the voters in their districts
2: it takes a lot of bourbon and <laughs> wine. <laughs> you know, the the interesting thing though is that you know they're they're you know just like that. There's that small percentage of folks across the country, right, that are kind of like the extreme. You know, the the extreme Trumpers, the MAGA people. And it's kind of the same thing in 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 the capital, and it's what's difficult is that when certain legislation hits the floor, then they're going to vote a certain way, like you said, because they're concerned about their primary. But, you know, in private conversations or, you know, just talking amongst ourselves with my colleagues across the aisle, you know, they they would prefer that these um, these hateful bills or the anti-LGBTQ legislation. I mean, this year, um, I mean, last last session, we had an unprecedented amount of anti-LGBTQ bills that was filed that were filed. And now and now this year, we, we beat we beat that record and we should be proud of that as a state. But but we have. Right. And, and a lot of my colleagues don't want to have to vote on these issues because they'd rather focus on the real issues. They'd rather focus on bringing something back home to their district, just like all of us would like to. But instead, we have to focus on all this other stuff that we have to to defend um, the people in our state, the people in our district. But there are those that are that are, you know, that that far right, um, that are true believers. But believe it sure. or not. There aren't as many as you would think. But if a bill comes to the floor or it goes to committee, that's what's dangerous, right? Is that they get too scared to walk a vote. They get too scared to vote against it because they're worried about getting primary. And, you know, with these far right Republicans in the state that have pumped it, that have pumped so much money um, into these campaigns. That's what these guys, these folks get get really freaked out by that, by doing the right thing. and So they choose not to do the right thing because they want to stay in office.
0: Exactly. And it's never the right thing i mean i'm so glad you said that because i can only imagine the frustration you and your sane colleagues endure Uh, so many of these people are ivy league educated they leave the state they're 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 not provincial people but they're held hostage by this maga mentality and they know if they do their jobs if they work with democrats to improve the lives of people in their state they'll lose their jobs texas in so many ways a microcosm for both the dysfunction of our national congress But also, you know, it's Women's History Month, everything that people are facing and struggling with nationwide, you deal with even more fiercely there. I I was reading how one out of eight individuals experience food insecurity in Texas. Fifty eight counties in Texas are considered food deserts by the U.S. Department of Mm -hmm. Agriculture. And it seems like you've got legislatures on the other side who are trying to solve this by beating up on transgender children. I read through all the different bills that are seemingly designed only to make life more cruel for gay and transgender Texans without actually helping anyone. It seems like more performative cruelty of the Trump era that mm-hmm. I, I'd like to believe most Americans are ready to leave behind.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, it's funny. I mean, not funny, but you know, interesting that you, you, you know, you mentioned food insecurity, you know, which is one of I actually filed a, a bill this session um, that's that's focused just on that. And and yes. I actually came up with the with the idea uh, during we had a, a really bad winter storm here in Texas where where folks died because our power grid failed and our governor still hasn't they still haven't fixed it at this oh, yeah. point right and 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 so in my district you know it's a food desert and so when people couldn't when, whether you're elderly or whether, you know, you're a parent, some folks don't have cars, they use public transportation. And when everything's down and you and you have to rely on, you know, gas stations or a little corner store to feed your child and you can't buy milk, you can't buy your, your necessities. I mean, that's a problem. And so that's where the state should be focused at. And, and so, you know, what's unfortunate is that, you know, some of us would rather focus on those important things, being able to, you know, making sure that our folks in our district can get food, can feed their children, um, instead, you know, we have to play defense on a whole host of, of bad legislation. Primarily, I mean, right now, I mean, it seems like there's just even a, a bigger surge in attacks on the LGBTQ community, and essentially, they're just trying to legislate us out of existence.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's all it's all performative. You know, it used to be Muslims. It was undocumented people for a while. Right now, it's transgender children oh, it's, who it's want still to play those sports. Too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But now it's like the, you know, group to abuse the scapegoat of the year club. They they seem to find a new way to distract from the fact that the Republican Party is not serving the needs of regular Americans. And I, I brought up the food shortages because you sponsored HB 2886. You know, to establish a food systems office. You, to me, represent the best of Texas Legislature. You, you filed HB nineteen thirty seven to give local governments the opportunity to legalize cannabis within their jurisdictions. I thought that's what states' rights and local control was all about in government. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, but they don't want local control. I mean, right now we have uh, actually this bill just came to the to get heard in committee. What's it? Uh, this past week, and it's a. Uh, I mean, probably. I mean, I would say that. The worst preemption bill that we've that has been filed in the Texas uh, Texas House. I mean, and it virtually takes all control away from local government. I mean, if and it says that basically, if the state regulates in any right in any type of agency that it, that strips it away from the city. So, like for right. example, Department of Agriculture, and you know, and and it also would include it would eliminate local non-discrimination ordinances in in the state. And so right now, like we don't have a statewide comprehensive non-discrimination law in the state. And so it's kind of a patchwork, right? And so, right. like Dallas yeah. um, is is one of them that you know has a, a local non discrimination ordinance. And if this bill passes, it could, I mean, it would wipe wipe these local non discrimination ordinances out. And so, essentially, what they're telling people is that you know you're not you're not smart enough um, to to vote in your local electives. We have to come in as a state and tell y'all what to do. And it's kind of ironic when Republicans are the ones that keep saying less government, less government, yet they wanna take over local governments. I mean, just this past week, you know, the Department of Education, they took over Houston ISD, one of the largest school districts in the state. And so they're telling the people that, oh, you're not smart enough to vote in your local school board and they're not smart enough to do their job. We have to come in and show you what to do. And it's just, yeah. it's it, its absurd. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, you can call that ironic. I have a different word for it, uh, and it's not as friendly (laughs) as that one. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this.
1: That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk
0: about starting the morning right
1: just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient, comfortable. Ah.
3: What
0: makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? (laughs) Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in Every single day.
2: So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to
0: find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I'm John Fiegel saying this is Progress After Dark. You know, I'm so inspired because when I was growing up, we'd hear about Ann Richards and Barbara Jordan and progressive Democrats who were able to get elected in the state of Texas because it has always been a purple state. I'm very curious, who was it that inspired you to get into democratic politics in Texas? Who are your uh, your
2: lighthouses? Well, Ann Richards, Barbara Jordan um, are, are two folks. Linda B. Johnson, um, you know, are some of the, the, the top three that, but, you know, I, I, I've always had, Public service, I and mean, I just feel like it's in my blood. And I've always thought about serving. You know, I went to law school not because I wanted to practice law, but because I wanted to be a voice. And and you know, when I was you know, experiences injustices when I was growing up, and felt like that I listened to, I wanted to be a voice that people would listen to, so I can stand up for people. And I was in my head, it was like, well, people listen to lawyers, right? And so that's why um, I decided to go to go to law school. And, you know i did end up you know getting my license and you know i'm practicing now but you know initially that wasn't my my intent um i wanted to do policy work maybe run for office and one of the things that initially inspired me was when the trump the trump administration um you know decided they just wanted to focus on attacking women's health care on attacking immigrants on attacking yep. the lgbtq community and I, I was having, you know, people, come, folks come into my office that were in tears, that were terrified about picking up their kids from school, about going to the grocery store. And and that just a person shouldn't have to live that way. And my predecessor, who had been in office for almost 30 years, it, you know, characterized that that session when we had a show me your papers bill that came to the floor and it got real nasty. You know, one of the a, a legislator that no longer is there because one of my colleagues uh, beat him uh, in 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 the general in the general election, which was one of the ones that the the twelve that flipped the seat. I mean, threatened to call immigration on one of my colleagues. I mean, and so it, it gets real. It got real nasty, and there was like some I think some fists that were about to be thrown, if not, if I don't think that any were thrown, but I just I knew that I that the district deserved, especially a safe Democrat district that where I don't I don't have to fear getting primary. You know, like I'm not a Republican that fears to get primaried because I'm not on the far right enough.
0: Exactly. Um, Oh, no, I was too nice to a minority. I I was too nice to a minority. I'm going to get called woke and primaried.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, I feel like that with districts like mine, I can I can afford to do that. And if so that means that I have to be the, you know, the louder voice or play defense even though there's there's a consequence a sacrifice that comes with that cuz you do get punished you know of course it's, you know they would only they don't let you pass legislation but you know i just think that you would think that there's only so much that they they would want to take from us uh, in in regards to our rights you know and i say you know across the board but they still want more and they still want more and i i just i would like to think that at some point they would they would have some kind of compassion Um, for people and not want to hurt people, but I'm just not seeing that. I mean, we've got to a point even where we have some of the kind of far, far right people that are just like, you know, I guess true believers or I don't whatever, but that are even fighting us on a a resolution recognizing an LGBTQ chamber or a resolution congratulating a Texan. One of them was, it was a, a couple. One of them was a vet. I mean, he has a. I mean, he's a decorated veteran, and they. I mean that that is unheard of, because it's not law. It's just it's just you know a a congratulatory thing. But we've got to that point that even those things are a fight. Well, so pray l- let for me us.
0: Uh, <laughs> I pray for you. I, I mean, I want to know how I can support. I got I got to ask you one last thing though, and it's so great of you to give sure. so generously of your time, Representative. Obviously, there's these far right. Demagogues, and they're in every state. Every state has them. Texas is maybe a bit bigger and louder, but every state has them. And you have to see these people who are colleagues who are openly homophobic, openly racist, openly misogynist. But I have to believe that when you go to work and you are the first openly gay Latina woman elected to the legislature from North Texas, I have to believe that when the doors are closed and they're in the same room, I have to believe they're nice to you. I have to believe that some of it's performative and that these people are cowards and they actually treat you like a human being in person. Is that the case or is it as bad as it seems?
2: No, no. I mean, yes, they, they will we sit down, and have a drink uh, together, um, you know, talk to you about supporting their legislation and vice versa. You know, I think part of it, I would like for one of them to be hateful in my face. I, I think they're just too scared. Uh yeah. <laughs> But but no, you know, that's the thing is that and that's what's disheartening. What That's one of the things that, you know, even in my first session that was was very disheartening was you have these conversations with folks. You go to dinner, you know, you break bread, you have drinks, you have, you know, you have a good time and, you know, just getting to know each other on a personal level. And and when you see that that same person that says they don't want to discriminate against you and that they don't believe that you should you know, get treated as a second-class citizen, when you see them vote yes on a bill that that is discriminatory or that hurts you, I mean, that it's hard. I mean, it's hard, right? And I may, you know, spend a week or, I mean, a week ignoring them or not talking to them because it just hurts, right, that, that, yeah. that you would think that we would be able to treat each other like human beings and that serving in the legislature and having those conversations, serving on committees together, that would humanize the issue. And that they would maybe have a little bit of compassion. But unfortunately, I don't see that.
0: I thank you for your compassion and your bravery and your leadership. Jessica Gonzalez is serving her third term as state representative for Texas's House District 104. Representative, what is the best way for our listeners to keep up with you and your work?
2: You can follow me uh, at Jessica for Texas. That's my Twitter handle and also on Instagram and Facebook.
0: I want to thank you for all you do for the working people of Texas and the women of Texas and the LGBTQ people of Texas. And most of all, thank you for joining us on SiriusXM. This platform is open to you anytime. We'd love to have you back.
2: All right. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you. And we'll be right back.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car.
0: It's always awkward doing an introduction whenever you come on the show because i've got to try to make sure it doesn't take up all of our time there's a lot to get to but i will say the only thing better than having graham nash back in studio for this show is having graham nash back in studio for this show with new music the first time you came here was for the gorgeous album the path tonight yes which i still love you released that fantastic double live album that we're going to get to of course the last time we spoke you had just recorded the vocals to the single vote in your bathroom of your apartment during the pandemic to get the song out in time because this man does not get slowed down by anything. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for the Hollies. He's in the Hall of Fame for Crosby, Stills, and Nash. And he should be in the Hall for Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. It's a completely different band. There's an OBE from the Queen floating around in his place somewhere. And along with Santana and Jefferson Airplane, CSNY was the only band to play both in the Woodstock Festival and... The Altamont Concert, and now Mr. Graham Nash has a new album, his first album of new music in seven years. It's called Now, and like the path tonight, it is gorgeous. It's all the beauty and all the melody with all the fire and the fury of his best. Graham Nash, it is so good to see you. Thank Hello. you. How have you been? I've, I've been okay. I'm kind of glad we have a city to come out in again. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No snow this winter. None. None. It's only going to get worse or better depending on whether you like snow.
0: Well, we only had one day of it last year. Yeah. I'm raising a very small child who doesn't like it. (laughs) And (laughs) it's just one of the many confusing, awkward things about being alive at this point in our history. Indeed. Which is another reason why I love the record so much. I'm going to gush about this, Graham. It's, It's gorgeous. It's got all the melody and harmony. I expect all the beautiful arrangements. But my God, when you go political, the fire is right there. It's so urgent. It's so right now. Were these songs composed during lockdown?
4: Yes. Not all of them, but, but majority of them, particularly Stars and Stripes mm-hmm. and uh, Golden Idol. Yeah.
0: Golden Idol, I think, is the one that a lot of people are going to be talking about. But to me... It,
4: I hope Trump's not talking uh, about it. Oh, I
0: hope he does talk about it.
4: Oh, I hope he doesn't. <laughs> He's got a... A mean streak he
0: does, but I mean, I wouldn't that that would sell records. I mean, I would love <laughs> Donald Trump to know yeah, exactly what it, you said
4: because he shot me in the middle of Fifth Avenue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather have Donald Trump talking about the new record than Donald Trump playing your old records before his rallies and not giving you a royalty check
4: that, that's that's true. that's true. I heard you
0: say that this is um, you the most personal record of your career, yep. And and right from the opening line. When I first heard you say that, I thought, yeah, you got to say that when there's a new album out. And then I listened to it and wow, this is everything. This is everything in your life now. This is everything in your life.
4: Right now. That's the first single. Second single is going to be Better Life. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, it's beautiful. And the guitar work on Right Now is stunning. Shane Fontaine. All all
4: of it. Now, how did you record him? Did you use the same band for every track? Here's how it's. Here's how we did it. I would put an acoustic guitar song down and a rough vocal. I would send it to Shane in Los Angeles. I I live in New York. He would put on his guitars and a voice. He would send it to Todd Caldwell, who co-produced this record with me and, and lives in Brooklyn, who would put the keyboards on and a voice. And it was done remotely. Mm. I mean, it was done remotely thousands of miles away because on one track, Buddy's back is Alan Clark, Mm -hmm. who was singing from London.
0: (laughs) The last time we spoke was when you had just done this for the Vote single, and you had said that you really adapted very well. I know you prefer to do it live, but Mm -hmm. it's seamless. It sounds great.
4: And the truth is, you're supposed to make all those people sound like they were all, all in the same room. Did it feel that way to you when you listened? Yeah, listen to it.
0: I did. I don't think you would have released it if it didn't
4: sound that way. No, I would would never have wasted your time.
0: (laughs) I mean, Leonard Cohen, for his last couple of records, just spoke into a microphone and sent it to his son, and he built the music around it. But this seems like it was much more collaborative in terms of the structure. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know that you played your acoustic and put down the vocals, but you must have had very strict instructions on the tone of these songs.
4: No, I didn't tell him to do anything. Really? When, sh- when, I didn't, when I sent buddies back to Shane to put his guitars on, he, said, he called me and said, well, what, sh- what should I do? And I said, it's very simple, buddy it to death. <laughs> Th- those were my only instructions. I-, I play with people that love my music, that know what I like, and I don't tell them anything. I, I play them a song and I say, OK, wh- what do you think the piano part should be on there? And they do it. I, d- I don't tell musicians what to do. I don't.
0: That seems like one of the blessings of always being a part of a democratic band. I mean, yeah. throughout your career.
4: Yeah, we were a democratic band, that's for sure. On A Better
0: Life, I, I can't believe how perfect the vocal is. I mean, if you would told me- the voices of me, me. But if you had told me you would record this in 1971, I would have believed it. I, I mean, do you ever have to transpose? any of your songs to a lower key? Because your, your pitch is beautiful. You still nope. hit the high notes perfectly.
4: No, nope.
0: not at all. Why do you think that some of your contemporaries have had to transpose to lower keys, but you can still hit the notes effortlessly?
4: I don't know why. I, don't, I, don't, I just don't know why. I mean, I, I don't have a vocal coach and I don't do lessons. or I'll, I'll warm up a couple of songs, you know, before we go on stage to make sure we're on the same page, you know. But no, it's just... Me, singing. <laughs> I, don't, I, I can't explain it. I don't, I, you know, why Why explain it?
0: I, there's no need. I mean, it's no. it's a real gift. And again, if it was just an album of pretty melodies, I'd love it. But then you have Golden Idol, which is, uh, I mean, I know they're lying because their lips are moving. That's right. They're trying to rewrite recent history when the MAGA tourists took to the, the, the hill. hill. You're... Melodic beauty has always coexisted with a real righteous outrage. I don't think you write angry songs. I think you write outrage songs from the same place of morality and decency that you write songs like Our House. It seems to all yep. come from the same heart.
4: Yep. It has to. And I'm, I'm wearing my heart on my sleeve on this record for sure. And I, I think it's courageous and, I, and I, I'm not particularly interested in what people think about it. I know I put out a decent record. I know that the music on there is pretty, de- pretty good, and that's enough for me.
0: The music is great, but the politics, I'm thrilled because I, I want to hear more artists of your stature being willing to piss off a few people to speak from a place of patriotism. I hear that track, and I hear a man who's been a citizen for over 40 years and who is writing from a place of outrage because of how much he loves this country.
4: One of the things we have to do as as artists is, is reflect the times in which we live. We've got to talk about what's going on, you know, politically, environmentally. We've got to talk about what's going on right now with us. And I think uh, with this record, I've managed to do that. And there's so few. I mean, Springsteen does it. Jackson Brown does
0: it. You could say Radiohead does it. But it, it seems like that's part of your ministry, that, that you could not avoid writing about topical urgency just like you couldn't avoid
4: writing about love that's right i I, you know i have to feel something before i start writing i have to see something or hear something that either pisses me off or makes me fall in love um and then i you know i go okay i need a title i need a title for the song and oh and I've got a t- I see, I have a lot of music in my head, bits and pieces that, that, that I've never made it to record yet. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with lyrics. So w- w- when the lyrics and the music touch each other in my mind, I'm off running, you know, and I'm writing another song.
0: And they both feed each other for you, right? The lyrics will feed the melodies and Absolutely. the melodies will bring the lyrics.
4: Yeah. And that's why I'm trying to write a simple songs. It's, it's not easy to write simple songs. But I, 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 I want to get you in the, f- like, like I opened the album with, with that one line, you know, I've had an incredible life. And at this age, at 81, I've been looking back at it and I never have really looked back at, because what the fuck can you do about it? You can't do anything about what you've done in the past. You know, you can't go into people's room and remix something because you forgot the bass drum, you know, <laughs> you just can't, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm having a great time with my life. I'm I'm in love. I have an apartment in a great apartment in New York. I love this city. I should have been here 20 years ago. Mm. But I'm here now.
0: Love of mine sounds like you got through the pandemic in New York City in the best way possible.
4: Yeah. And that's a love song about an argument. Really? Yeah. You had fallen in
0: love and changed your life dramatically just before the pandemic hit. I mean, only a couple of years before. Yes, And I can only imagine what that experience must have been like. I've tried to explain to people what it was like to be here and just hear the sirens all day, the silence and then just sirens all day long. it
4: It was incredible, particularly here in the city. It was silent and there was a certain feeling that people didn't quite know what was going on. You know, yeah. And then when, when, when I mean, I've had—I don't know whether you've had it, but I've had COVID twice. Mm-hmm. You know, and Crosby also—I know—had had COVID twice. Uh, it's not—it's not easy, but you have to get on with life, and that's what I did. So I made this record during the pandemic.
0: Yeah. Did you and Amy get out much? Like, were you confined to the house? Did you venture out? What was it like? What was your pandemic experience like? Because I thought about you downtown and how you were navigating <laughs> the pandemic with the election going on right. and, and turning 80 and having this this new life you've just embarked on and suddenly the world comes to a stop. Did yes. you Did you venture out to try to find hand sanitizer? I mean, what's nope. it like for Graham nope. Nash? We
4: got, no, Amy this is a very smart woman. Uh, she's a wonderful artist too, by the way. But no, I... Uh, no, we didn't go out. I haven't been in a restaurant since. Wow. Oh, no, once. I had sushi once, right across the street from me. But no, we <laughs> never went out. And and it's difficult living with someone, particularly if you're enclosed in an apartment, you know, and, and you're not supposed to go out, uh, you know, on, on the risk of your life. Yeah you know and a lot of people i i, I see uh, you know i've got my mask in my pocket and i am not wearing it now obviously because we're recording but i don't see many people with with masks on anymore and they seem to think that covid's over but we're still losing over 2500 people a, a week that's right
0: that's right. you, you know? see a bit more on the subways, but it's true. I mean I I had it once, but I had it for all of last year mm, and and for all yeah, for over six months. Wow, and then I was having low grade fevers like six times a day, incredible fatigue. So I think people who've had it are wearing masks in public places, but you're right. I'm yeah. shocked at how many are just walking around Maskless. In crowded places. yeah. yeah. It's madness. Amazing. Um, Stars and Stripes is a really interesting song because you, you begin it with, I can't remember when my world was not on fire.
4: It's true. Don't forget I was born with World War II, still had three years to go. That's right. And that was fire and flames. And yeah, it's, a, it's, an, it's an easy song to write that because of my life and what, what I've been through in my life, you know.
0: But it's a song of hope. Yeah. That's what I love about it. It's a song that doesn't deny the reality, doesn't deny the pain, no. but it doesn't bullshit about, about yeah. anything. It, it, Just it, tell me the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always said, and I've, I've said this to you before, I will always believe that you guys helped end the Vietnam War. And when I listen to this song, Stars and Stripes, which is sort of a, a love of what America could be, but facing what America actually has been. Right. I... I think it's a very patriotic song in a First Amendment kind of let's criticize it to save it away. Indeed. It's a song, I think, that only someone who became an American could write.
4: I've been in this country a long time. I love this place. I I love it. I've been here since 1968. That's a long time. Yeah. Do you feel that... We are getting better.
0: I mean, it's easy to look outside and see how bleak it is. I don't remember protests over Vietnam. I I don't have a reference for how divided we were back then. You've seen it. You've written about it. I mean, I like to believe that for everything we see that's fucked up and desperate now. That there's five signs of hope, that there's so many other ways we've gotten better.
4: Yeah. I mean, you have, to, you have to think about humanity itself, you know. We've got everyone from Ted Bundy that, that was eating people, and Jeffrey Dahmer who was eating people. <laughs> and we're on Mars. Yeah. And everywhere <laughs> in between. That's
0: it. That's what I love about this country. The entire breadth of human experience. Is here. From Jeffrey Dahmer to Mr. Rogers. Yes, is exactly. Right
4: here. Exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: buddy's back. When I was first listening to it, I thought this before I do the title, I thought this sounds like a Holly song and in many ways it is. It's that just perfect simplicity. Buddy Holly three chords that you speak yep. of.
4: Yep. I wrote that uh, for Alan for, for Alan Clark when he was making his solo record. Wow. And uh, on my record, uh, I sing the lead and he joins me in the choruses and on his record, he sings the lead and I join him in the choruses. But it, it was it was about uh, the Hollies' love for Buddy Holly and. Just as an aside, the last apartment he lived in that he did, those uh, Peggy Sue got married on acoustic guitars, Mm -hmm. is now for sale. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Amazing, eh?
0: (laughs) You can rent uh, Big Pink as a a bed and breakfast now, too. (laughs) I
4: I know. I I once uh, stayed there for a couple of weeks at Big Pink. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I often think that you could write an amazing book just of your recollections of the other artists of your era. When I, I see know. what you've done with the photos, because I I love your photography, Graham. You yes. never you never do school portraits. You never do <laughs> someone's no. headshot. I've never seen someone just smiling for a Graham Nash portrait. You no, you, you don't you capture like that them. face.
4: Yeah, I I hate that face in me. I know. I mean, you know, how many pictures I've been taken of me, yeah. and I I don't like that face where you. Th- trying to look your coolest or whatever side of your face is the best side. Mm-hmm. I, I can't stand that. So I try and be invisible. And most of my you know portraits of people are, have been taken when they didn't even know I was there.
0: If the Mona Lisa had done a big toothy grin, nobody would remember the painting. Not one person. That's what I love. Milan Kundera wrote about this extensively in Immortality, yeah. that when we, we admire uh, a muscle spasm of a laughter in a photo more than we admire simplicity and thoughtfulness. Right, right. Which brings me to the album cover, (laughs) uh, because this looks like a portrait of you that you would have taken. This is a portrait of you on the cover, but you are by no means giving a happy smile.
4: Nope. A photograph taken by my wife, Amy, who knows me better than anybody, I believe. Uh, We've been together now for almost nine years. Uh, Been married for four of them. She also is a a really wonderful photographer. As a matter of fact, uh, one of her self-portraits is now in the National Portrait Gallery in London, which which is quite an honour, you know? Uh, so, yeah, Amy took the, uh, the, the the photograph of me on the cover, and I'm, I'm not giving you that face because I don't like no, it. No, it's great.
0: It's a great picture. You're not putting anything up?
4: Well, yeah, at first I thought, man, I look old, you know, <laughs> and I realized I, I am old, you know, and my I can't get rid of my hair and, you know.
0: <laughs> but you it, look fantastic. My God, as he says this, uh, Mr. Nash is running his hands through a lush, full head of hair right now that Crosby would have killed for i mean you 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 do look great do you
4: feel healthy do you feel as good as you look i feel healthy and i feel passionate about music i love my life this is an incredibly lucky man sitting in front of you i've been lucky all my life and i have never planned anything i've only walked into my life whatever's happening to me is what i'll do and it's your life is made of choices Do you turn left? Do you turn right? Do you talk to him or do you talk to her? It's choices.
0: But you've never been passive. As you talk about this, sure, it's choices and you're blessed, but you're constantly creating. You're constantly writing. I mean, Mm -hmm. not a lot of guys would have gone out right after the pandemic and done a double live album. I mean, I love that you did the first two records and played them live. And with that band, you barely had any rehearsal time, right? Three days. What was the process that led
4: you to think that this was what you wanted to undertake, Amy, tell me i'd I'd thought about it for for many years, you know, and I mentioned it once to Amy and and she said, "Hey, wait a second. I want to see that show. i want I want to be there." And she we're married, you know, she knows me, you know? She knows um, the music <laughs> and um She said, I want to be there. you got to do that. you got to do that. So then Shane uh, Fontaine, my guitar player, and Todd Caldwell, my piano player, who co-produced this record with me, uh, put together this band that I'd never played with. And we rehearsed for less than a week. And everything sounded good. And we only did four shows. So I had to choose, uh, you know, the best take of each song, you know. And uh, it, it, it turned out pretty well.
0: I'm fascinated by what your emotional state was in doing this. Did you feel completely prepared, even though you only had a few days of rehearsal? Or do you need that spark of anxiety to drive yeah. your energy up a notch?
4: I needed that. I needed that small spark. I was always a little little nervous. I, was, I must confess, I was a little nervous. Does the nervousness help you? It did in this particular case, yeah. Because once I had done the, th- the three or four days of rehearsals, I knew that we were going to be okay. And Because right. I wouldn't have gone out right. if I didn't feel that we were going to be able to pull it off, you know. But I, I felt int- intuitively that we had, uh, we had played each song in a very interesting way and this was going to be okay.
0: We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. This is Progress.
3: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. Welcome back.
0: You know, I love this relatively new tradition of artists playing their albums live and touring off of an album and God knows Van Morrison, you too. I mean, Lucinda Williams. Was it always in your mind that you wanted to do the first two records on one album?
4: It wasn't always in my mind, but it's been, it's, it's, it's crossed my mind a couple of times. I remember, I remember my, my daughter Niall ha- had, uh, had some, uh, interesting artists do, uh, Songs for Beginners. Yes. You know, and uh, and one of them is a man called E mm-hmm. and he did uh, Jennifer Eccles mm-hmm. and it was the only time I ever liked that song. I hated that song all from the very first moment we wrote it. I just, it was just not right for me. But then uh, it was okay. It took a, It took a man without a name to actually,
0: <laughs> I know for a long time you were working on a record of harmonies that you and David had done with other people's songs. And I'm wondering where that
4: project is now. It's all together. I've put the cover together. I put the album together. I played it for Warner Brothers about five years ago when I'd first thought about, you know, all the people that we had sung with. And they didn't hear the hits. And I said, are you fucking kidding me? Love the one you're Love, with, with do- Stephen. That's not a hit. Doctor My Eyes you do- did, Doctor right? My Eyes with Jackson's not a hit. Mexico with James Taylor's not a hit. You know, come on. You got a friend with Carol King was on this, right? Yep. And that was a, a live show that she did at Universal Amphitheater in Los Angeles. And Crosby and I went to the show and we saw Carol before. And she said, do you want to sing? You know, you got a friend? I said, play it once. You know, sound check, you know. Oh well, Yeah, we can do that. And it's a live recording. She's doing the entire first verse. And then when we come to the chorus, Crosby and I are walking over to the piano and the audience went crazy because me and David had walked over, of And we're obviously going to sing with, with Carolyn. And it's a great recording. I love it. So, I mean, what are the odds of the record coming out? Because I've I don't know. heard you talk about
0: this and it sounds gorgeous. I
4: know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I'm de- I'm definitely going to put a little pressure on, on my managers and record company to, to rethink this idea because I, I think it's worth it. No, please but Once do. again, I don't want to waste your time. You know?
0: yeah, please, please do. Did David know you were working on this? Oh yeah, sure. I bet he did. Absolutely. I bet he wanted in on this every way possible. Yep. Yeah. I, I think about what it must be like for you having the new record out and then doing the press tour. And inevitably, I would imagine most of these interviews will center around the parts of life with David that you are choosing not to dwell on right now and I'm curious how you navigate that sort of thing. I, I see so many tacky questions thrown at you all the time, and I just admire your grace. I'm gonna throw tacky questions at you too, but I just wanna say before I do, I admire your <laughs> your grace and restraint.
4: Yeah, I, I love what I do. I am passionate about being a musician. You know, I've been a musician since I was 13, Yeah. you know? And this time in my life, I have looked back and realized just how incredible it's really been you know how how wonderful and lucky i am you know i i i didn't think that this was going to be talking to you about it when i'm 81 you know I'm, shit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> i know that you and cross had uh had begun exchanging messages and you know every time i ever did anything with him any live shows and he came on stage with me at live shows and anytime he, he always acknowledged um that he was an addict and he always took responsibility yes he did for the fact that he had ended so many of his own friendships yep. he was crystal clear about that yeah and I, I
4: and that was one of the things that he was saying uh, when we were talking there to at the end i've got a voice message that i i'll never ever erase where he says you know uh, we we should talk i i think i need to apologize." And I, I thought, all right, he's once again facing the truth and realizing what he did, particularly with Neil, Yeah, you know, of and Daryl.
0: Of course, of course. And I, I mean, what is there to say? Like, I think anyone who's paid attention to the work knows how much you loved him, knows how much he loved you, and the music's still there for us. Yeah.
4: We had a couple of bad years there, but uh, I'll only, I only want to remember the good stuff. I keep seeing his face online, you know, yeah. and I keep thinking about him. It was incredibly sad for me. I mean, the, the truth is, I mean, fuck, we, we've expected David to croak, you know, twenty years ago. Yeah, you know, I mean, and he made it to 81. once. It's amazing. That's astonishing to me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he I think of so many people. I think and, of uh, so many people who didn't make it to yeah. eighty. True. It's amazing, incredible. Yeah. But my ex-wife, Susan, once told me, she said, you know, if you die before Crosby, I'm going to kill you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think he would appreciate all the jokes uh, that have been told. Um, I wanted to ask you about updating lyrics. About? Updating lyrics, like the prison song Mm -hmm. on the live record. Dylan does this, and a lot of artists I love do. It seems like, for you, this is a way of keeping the song contemporary, keeping it alive and beating for you.
4: Yeah. there was an interesting story when I had finished writing a prison song. i uh, It's about, the first verse is about my father, and then the second verse is about a friend of ours. But I was in uh, in the north of England, and on Granada television there was a show, and they wanted me to play the show, and I had just written prison song, and I was going to play the prison song live. Right. Who else was on the show? The judge that took my father to prison. When you were, what, 13? No, I was 14 and a half. (sighs) He was on tape, and so I couldn't talk to him, you know, because he wasn't live in the studio. I was live in the studio. He was on tape on on a five-minute piece on his. But it it was just, just my life. My life's been insane like that. This just happens to me. I don't know what it is, but the greatest things happen to me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, I mean, you say this as if there's not a lot of hard work and craftsmanship on your part. No, there is. But I've been doing it a long time, and I'm pretty good at doing what I do. But I, I want—I want you right from the very beginning. I don't—I'm not interested in uh, in waiting for you know 14 verses before I know what you're saying. I love simple songs. Love of Mine is an incredibly simple song. It's perfect. Yeah, you know, just. Recorded in a little studio here in Brooklyn, just me playing guitar and and Todd playing keyboards. That's it. At this point, have you
0: been a part of enough iconically political and protest songs that you don't have idiots coming to your show and saying, stop with the politics, just play the hits? I mean, that's not something that I can't imagine someone coming to your show with that kind of ignorance. Everyone comes to your show once.
4: I haven't heard that in 30 years.
0: Oh, that must be a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next? You're going to go on the road?
4: Yep. We hear, we'll get I to hear start, this on a uh, couple of weeks. The ticket sales are going incredibly well. I'm, I've got four tours all lined up this year. Uh, September, I'm going to Europe for, uh, you know, yeah. Here I am, having a great
0: time. (laughs) I feel feel like that these are songs that you're going to want to play live. Yes. I mean, I know that you always, whenever you do a tour, you play a lot of new stuff and mix it with the old stuff beautifully, which I love. I think the fans appreciate it. But it seems like some of these songs are just built to be done live on stage. Absolutely. curious if you plan on having them be a, a key part of the set list.
4: I've written so many songs that people love that it's hard to, I mean, there's roughly... 24 songs in a set, you know, 12 and intermission and then another 12, you know, but what can you do? You know, what do I have to throw out to put new stuff in? Yeah, That's my main problem right that's now. It's a good I problem. Mean, to do have, I not sir. sing Marrakesh Express? Do I not sing Our House or Teach Your Children or Military Madness? Or, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be weird, but um, I'll, I'll, something will happen and then it'll, I'll go, okay, that's what we're going to do.
0: Can I ask you a New York question? Mm-hmm. How weird is it to go underground for a pandemic and then come out after lockdown and suddenly there are cannabis dispensaries on every corner of the city? I'm, I'm I know. Strange for you to it's see this? It's very
4: strange for me because, you know, look how many people are still in jail. Exactly. For, for smoking dope, you know, or dealing dope. Yep. Now it's legal. Why don't we let them all out?
0: And why don't we clear their records?
4: And why don't we clear their records? You know, now I, I, I'm, I'm hearing things that it's going that way.
0: You know? I mean, who would have thought 80-year-old Joe Biden would decriminalize it at the federal level and seek to expunge all federal records, as it, as it, it rightly it, should exactly.
4: be? Exactly. Is he 80 now? He's 80. Okay. Young guy? Yeah, he's a young guy.
0: Scorsese? <laughs> I mean, McCartney? I can't wait to be 80. All the cool people are... <laughs> <laughs> Carol's 81?
4: I, I just did uh, for no one. Yes. Uh, at Carnegie Hall the other night.
0: Yes, for the big McCartney tribute show. Yeah. How did it feel?
4: I I thought I did great. <laughs> the interesting thing was I really loved uh, hearing Patti Smith doing uh, She's Leaving Home. Yes. I mean, it was fabulous. Yes. I, I liked her when she did the the uh, the Nobel Peace Prize for, for Bob. that Dylan got for Bob. You know.
0: Patti closed, when Carnegie Hall had the Van Morrison tribute show, she closed that doing her version of Gloria, whoa, (laughs) which was a very audacious way to do a tribute to Van. Not bad, though. But yeah, but I'm thrilled that I was thrilled to see that you were at Carnegie Hall doing the show. And honestly, I'm so excited for the new tour. I'm so excited to see the new songs played live. Great. What is the best way for people to follow uh, all your tour dates?
4: Probably if you go to grahamnash.com and they're all up there. Sir, it is
0: so good to see you. Thank you, John. I'm so sorry for the loss of your friend, David. I know how much you loved him, and he knows how much you loved him. And I just want to thank you on behalf of all the fans for putting out one of your best records that is just so full of beauty and fire at the same time. I can't wait to see you uh, play the Albert Hall when you're 85.
4: From your mouth to God's ear.
0: Thank you, Graham Nash. The new record is called Now. Do yourself a favor. And this is one that you can give as a gift to anyone. This is one you can give your parents. You can give it to your lover. It's just a great record to have around the
4: house. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. You're welcome.